Blog Talk Radio. Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Hello, welcome to another edition of The Verge. Uh, I'm Reggie Inger, and I'll be joined by Zach Spedden. Uh, this is the podcast that we're going to do for the Orioles minor league system. And uh, we did a little bit of an intro yesterday. Uh, hopefully you got a chance to listen. Uh, Zach gave a background of what uh, his baseball uh, background is. And I also did and what we're going to be talking about. So uh, I'll go ahead and bring Zach in right now. Zach, how are you? Good. How are you? Good. Um, so let's, kick things off uh we're kind of just going to do a rough show today um talk about i think we've only had about a week or two of uh, minor league action but um let's just start off with uh top performance of the week throughout the minor leagues um i'm gonna start with uh, a guy who isn't known as a prospect just because i know we talk about the chance cisco's the christian walkers the mancini's etc but uh jay gonzalez of the frederick keys um the batting average isn't you know it's like 200, but obviously um, that's not a major concern. But uh, his his on-base percentage is close to 350. He's got uh, five stolen bases with five walks. Uh, I've had a chance to view Jay Gonzalez over the past two years. Um, definitely works the count, uh, which I, I, I really like. He's not your typical minor leaguer who's going up there and just swinging at the first or even second pitch. So he's batting leadoff for the Frederick Keys, um, but he's – He's a, definitely somebody to keep an eye on, again, with five stolen bases and five walks. Yeah, I saw him a little bit last year uh, with Delmarva, and I have to agree with that analysis as far as how he works account. Uh, typically in low A, you're either going to get a leadoff hitter who you can tell is going to be a big leader. And I go back to when I saw Billy Burns years ago, who's now with Oakland. That was someone who didn't have the best skill set but could really work the count well. So you knew he had some potential. And I, I – I don't know if Gonzalez is of the Billy Burns mold, but I did like the way that he worked the count, as you said. It's And it certainly helped that Burns was fast and stole every base. It seemed like every time I saw him with uh, Potomac at the time, you know, before he got traded to the uh, Oakland, um, he was the guy that just got on base and just ran. So. Yeah, there were, you couldn't really stop him when he got on because he, he got off to kind of a slow start when he first got in the league. Yeah. And I think it kind of caught teams by surprise how quick, how fast he was. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of uh, – he reminds me of the, the Terrence Gore except Billy Burns. I know we're getting a little bit off topic, but Terrence Gore was the same thing except Billy Burns could get on base. Terrence Gore couldn't hit worth a lick, but he was the fastest man probably – on the field. And yet you, you saw what the Royals did. They brought him up for, as a, basically a designated pinch runner. So kind of interesting. Um, um, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, the one performance that kind of caught my eye this week is a player that I know you kind of like Adrian Marin and Bowie off to, you know, granted small sample size here, seven games, but 361 base percentage, 304 average. This is someone who's always kind of had the tools, 
but it's never quite put them together. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that that's definitely good to see just because uh he was a guy that, you know, he's been kinda um I guess hanging around in Frederick. So I, I think it was one of the points where, you know, hey, we gotta see what this kid can do because it's it's kinda getting I mean, I, I know there's been a lot of talk about him being young and et cetera, but you can only play that card for so long. So I'm definitely glad to see that, you know, they're giving him the opportunity of playing every day. And you know what? We're going to say, look, let's see what we have in this kid. Exactly. And with the shortstop situation, J.J. Hardy's under contract, I think, for one more year, correct? I think it's one more year. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, at this point, I don't know if Manny Machado ever moves back to shortstop or not. But it would be nice to know the Orioles have an option in the fold, even if it's not, even if he doesn't hit well enough to be an everyday player. But even if he comes into that utility mold, it would be nice to see if the Orioles to have that option. Uh, yeah. And that close to the majors, too. Yeah. And honestly, I think that's what you're going to get as far as a utility option for him, just because I, I, I don't think he can stick at shortstop. He just doesn't have the arm. But we'll see. All right, uh, so we do have some injuries, but it's not actually of minor league guys. We just, we've had some rehabbing guys. Uh, Kevin Gosman and Brian Mattis actually both pitched for uh, Frederick, the high A team, last night. Um, the results obviously weren't there, except for Gosman struck out eight, I think, in three innings. But more or less, with, with guys that are rehabbing, you want them to just be healthy. You're not looking for Gosman to come out and throw 97 or 98. Um, he was 94 to 96 on a couple pitches, but more or less you want these guys just to come out, have clean outings, feel healthy, and then get back to the major leagues. So um, I guess the, prior to Frederick, both of these guys uh, were rehabbing in Bowie, and then Bowie went on the road. So I'm assuming they're just going to wait to hear their next assignment, although it's probably a good indication that they're both ready, considering they've um, Gosman's now made darts, and I think Mattis has made three appearances uh, out of the bullpen. So it's Zach, would you say that it's time to decide? I mean, I'm assuming the rehabbing's done at this point. Yeah, it's got to be getting close. Typically, what you want to look at with rehab would be pitch count and then um, innings pitch. Gosman last night goes three and a third. Uh, Mattis goes three innings out of the bullpen, which to me is kind of an indication that he's ready. Totally. Um, so I I would expect both of them back pretty quickly at this rate. Um, and I if one of them, if they don't both come back at the same time, I would say you'll see Mattis first and then Gosman after that. Yeah, and certainly Gosman, I mean, will be um, a welcome addition to that rotation, despite them being, uh, despite the Orioles playing really well. I mean, the starting pitching, I mean, that's obviously a different, a different show and a different topic, but certainly he will be welcomed back to that rotation. Exactly. Yeah, you you want someone who, you know, first of all, you just want someone who has major league experience and you know can at least take the ball every five days, give you a dependable outing, which. You know, not to say that Mike Wright or Tyler Wilson or Vance Worley can't eventually do that, but I would have Gosman right now over one of those three. And then not to mention the upside that's there with Gosman probably exceeds anything that's in the rotation right now. Oh, and that's yeah. even if you draw up best-case scenario for Chris Tillman and Giovanni Gallardo. Yeah, to- I yeah, totally agree. And sticking on the uh, the pitching theme, uh, we're going to pick a pitching rotation to go over. Kind of, we're not going to break down everybody, but kind of the highlights of it. Uh, the Bowie Bay Sox is obviously, the, I think, have, has been a very 
uh, I guess you could say hot topic among the, uh, the pitching uh, rotations in the minor leagues. I and mean, obviously it's one of the better ones. It has the prospects, uh, Chris Lee, David Hess is there. Um, you've got also Jason Garcia. Uh, don't forget him. You know, the guy, uh, he was the rule five pick who stuck with Baltimore last year. And now they're going to um, stretch him out to be a, a starting pitcher. It appears because he's in the rotation. Uh, I had a chance to, obviously I, I've seen Chris Lee and David Hess uh, when they were in high A and Frederick. And now with Bowie, I actually went down to the opening series and saw David Hess pitch Um He's a guy that I personally am very high on uh, just because of I, I think he's got the arsenal to stick, but it's a matter of getting those pitches to consistency as far as, you know, he offers uh, four different pitches, although the curveball is more of a show-me pitch as opposed to a, uh, a swinging pitch or an ounce pitch. But certainly his fastball, his slider, and his changeup are obviously quality offerings. It's just a matter of getting them consistently that he can throw them and, and, and get hitters out. Uh, additionally, Chris Lee, uh, we know we know his story came over from the Houston Astros. Um, it was sitting 91-92, and now we're up to 94-96 and hitting 97. He certainly uh, has uh, exceeded uh, expectations, I would say, considering he was traded for cash or international money, I believe. I'm not sure. Um, but this is a guy that we, we've seen. Um, they took him, put him on the 40-man roster. Uh, he's a left-handed pitcher. He's got the fastball, like I said, to hit 97. He's also got – he refers to it as a slider. Um, I think – I don't know if he's hiding that because he doesn't want to call it a cutter because he's afraid of taking yeah, – the Orioles taking it away from him. But he also has a cutter that is uh, high 80s, low 90s as well as a uh, what I call baby slider. It's definitely a more visible pitch uh, in the high 70s, low 80s. And then also his changeup, which he doesn't really throw. Uh, I was not there for his outing. I think he piggybacked on Galsman maybe uh, on one of the outings. But um, from what I heard from folks that were there, he was actually – he was very good. Um, so that that's certainly encouraging. And then Jason Garcia is there. So certainly Bowie, the rotation, is one of the better um, pitching rotations to watch this year. Yeah, exactly. I agree with you. I think that Hess is going to be the guy to watch. He might really break through this year. Um, you and I have both written a lot about Lee and about how he could really be the pitcher that steps up and you know, comes through not only as a potential rotation candidate, but maybe that guy who, because of his velocity, was that three-pitch mix. You could plausibly, excuse me, plausibly see in the back end of a top 100 list next year. Um, you know, just for the Orioles to have someone like that at this point would be a big boost. One thing I wanted to get your thoughts on, because I'm unsure of it at this point, is the decision to stretch out Garcia. Because last year... I thought Garcia was one of those guys who was on the friend of being major league ready as a reliever. Yeah. And the Orioles don't necessarily have the track record to suggest that they're going to take a guy and drive him down the starter when he's already close as a reliever. It's typically been the other way around with Zach Britton, Brian Mattis. You know, they yeah. take starters who don't quite have everything and make them very, very good relievers. So I was kind of surprised by the decision with Garcia. Yeah, and, and honestly, that's kind of how, well, really all relievers and closers go. They're failed starters, essentially. Um, 
But but yeah, back to Garcia. I, I was surprised too because ultimately, and I think I even wrote about this. Ultimately, I think he his value is out of a bullpen role. Now, as far as stretching him out, maybe it's so that he can, you know, work more on the secondary offerings. Um, maybe, maybe that's why I'm assuming why, as opposed to bringing him in for the sixth and seventh inning. Although, um, you know, Michael Givens, we saw, you know, they brought him in for multiple innings out of the bullpen in the sixth, seventh, and eighth innings while he was with Bowie. So maybe this is just another way um, to stretch him out without interfering with the current bullpen plans. But certainly, yes, I was surprised. But ultimately, I think, like you said, his value is more as a uh, more out of the bullpen. So maybe this is just a way of stretching him out um, in order to get uh, the secondary offering set. Yeah, and there's another pitcher with Bowie similar to that, and that's Parker Bridwell, whose first appearance did come out of the bullpen, but I believe he is scheduled to start over the next few nights. Uh, That's someone who, again, we've both talked about really nice year last year. Um, After a few seasons where you could watch him pitch, and, you know, going back to how players look in low A, sometimes you watch a pitcher, and you, you're thinking to yourself, I don't know what this organization sees. And then they'll have an inning or they'll have an at-bat where it's like, oh, I get it now. Bridwell did that every time I saw him. He, he oh, would just oh, come out of the gate. Yeah. He would look bad. And then all of a sudden he would go out third or fourth inning and just look incredible. And it's like, all right, now I get it. Last year we saw that a little bit more. So I'm interested to see Bridwell is actually starting today in Akron. Um, yeah, no, you're you're totally right with as far as the innings because it would come out in the first and second inning. I mean, he the fastball would be flat, couldn't spot the changeup, and then he would come out and it would just the changeup was just. I mean, it was it was like watching a big leaguer um, or a Zach Davies changeup where he would just come out and just mow people down. Um, so no, I, I totally understand that sentiment where the results weren't consistent um, and. And honestly, I think this year is a big year because I think he was limited last year because of uh, an injury. So certainly uh, he is also someone to keep an eye on. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, it, you know, double A, triple A, this is where we start to learn a little bit. You know, also the pitcher is a starter or a reliever. And it goes back to the same thing with Garcia, where the Orioles are trying to test that now and see where his value is or, you know, what decisions they want to make with him long term. I think Bridwell's in a similar spot. Yeah, uh, uh, I totally agree with that sentiment just because I think obviously double A, um, in my opinion, has always been you get the you get the talent there because I, I've seen triple A rosters, especially if you look at Norfolk, there's probably only one or two prospects there and the rest is just veterans, um, quad A guys in case someone gets hurt on the major league roster. But Bowie's always going to be your test um, or double A is always going to be your test because, again, you look at what the Orioles did with Manny Machado. Um, he was down at Bowie hitting, let's call him up. There's no reason to go to triple A and face like a Dana Evelyn or, or someone of that caliber, because Bowie's going to be in it's for the hitters and the pitchers as well. You're going to get your prospects there as opposed to seeing them in triple A. Right. And the other thing is double A too, it tends to, the cycle tends to run a little bit more that even if prospects move up to the majors or triple A, there's typically a prospect behind them especially in your better systems, whereas AAA, it seems like there are some years where you'll, especially because of the service time issues with a lot of organizations, your top prospects will be in AAA, but will be for such a short period of time 
that the overall results at the end of the year don't reflect that the International League and the Pacific Coast League were loaded with prospects at any point in the season. Absolutely. All right, so sticking with the Bowie Bay Sox team, we got to get to Trey Mancini um, because I think it was a surprise that he was going back to Bowie. At least it was a surprise to me. Um, as we talked about on the introduction podcast, the, the Orioles have a log jam at first base. However, at Norfolk, you have um, Joey Tardoslovich, um, who, who's your first baseman, with Christian Walker moving to the outfield. But Mancini is obviously hitting double A pitching very well. Again, he's got ho- four home runs in eight games. Two of those home runs being the opposite field on pitches that were off the well, uh, off the plate or away on the strike zone. Um, the one I heard uh, on opening night, it, it sounded like a gunshot off the bat. I mean, it was a hard hit ball. So I guess my question is, what else does Mancini need to do to get up to Norfolk? Because it's not like he was in Bowie just for a month, um, you know, like a David Hess or, um, you know, it's not like he was up there for a cup of coffee. He was there for, I think, everything except maybe April and part of May. So what needs to happen, Zach, to get him to trip away? Um, someone gets hurt or released, I guess. I don't, I mean, <laughs> to me, the performance wise, he's right there. Um, I was surprised too, because it seemed like all along Walker and Man senior are going to Norfolk and they're going to have to find a way to get both at bats. And, over the course of spring training, it was becoming clear that the solution was Mancini sticks at first, Walker's going to move to left field. This is how they're going to get both in the lineup. Um, but I was very surprised, and I don't really see how Mancini's going to stick in Bowie much longer um, before moving up because and, he was there yeah. long enough. He was there long enough last year to win the batting title and win the batting title by a pretty wide margin. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and here's and here's my thing. Um, look, uh, you know, Turdo, Joey Turdoslovich is he is what he is. He's not a prospect. I mean, he's just there at first base. I I, I mean, I don't know what the Orioles have planned for him, um, but why not uh, put Mancini up there, have Turdo either you know play in the outfield occasionally. Uh, they, I, I mean, I guess they also have Dario Alvarez and Henry Arrieta, but you figured you'd want to get Mancini up there and see what he can do. Um, I guess I don't understand what that, that plan is there at first base. Yeah, I, I really don't either. And maybe part of it has to do with the fact that you're looking at their own first base situation in the major leagues and realizing that they probably aren't going to need a Mancini right away, even if there is an injury but it would still seem like you want that seasoning in AAA for as long as you can get it. Uh, because what you're facing at the end of the year is Pedro Alvarez is a free agent. Mark Trumbo is a free agent. So you're going to have a couple of holes to fill in the lineup. And Mancini would be one of the logical candidates internally to take that step. So even going back to what we were just talking about with the prospects, while it is true that Mancini's probably facing more prospects in the Eastern League yeah, than yeah. he would in the International League, I still think that time there would help him just from a development side, pick up on different off-speed pitches. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that, and that's the thing. I guess that's what I want to see is it's like, look, you know, he's proven he can hit the secondary pitches or, lead, you know, stay off of them at Bowie. So now let's see what you can do against guys that have some probably – I mean, a bulk of those guys that are starting pitch and have some, you know, major league experience. Um, again, you know, Miguel Gonzalez with Charlotte. 
Uh, Norfolk's going to play them. So you're going to see some guys that have gotten major league hitters out. Um, so I would certainly want to see uh, what he can do there at least. So that's why I'm just kind of waiting um, to see what happens. Um, so Zach, you went, uh, I mentioned, I went to Bowie, uh, for a couple games and you actually, uh, Delmarva was on the road, but in Hagerstown, um, which is, uh, you know, kind of in Western Maryland sort of, but also the same league Hagerstown sons being the nationals. Um, and then Delmarva was on the road. You actually were there and saw, I think every game now Delmarva has, uh, you know, they have two of the bigger prospects from last year's draft and Ryan Mountcastle and DJ Stewart, I'm assuming were your main targets there. So uh, do you want to go through a little bit of each guy or just go through uh, anything uh, that really stood out on your trip? Yeah. The the two things in particular that I noticed with Mountcastle and Stewart, um, I'm going to start with Stewart because I actually did talk about this a little bit. And here's a plug. If you go on the message board, I did have a write up of Stewart's new batting stance from what I saw on opening night. Um, Overall, there are some positives there. He seems to be seeing the ball better. I think it puts him in a better position to hit, particularly with where his hands are as the pitch is coming in. But the follow on Friday night, he faced a lefty named Taylor Hearn who can hit the mid nineties usually. And his timing just seemed to be thrown off the whole time he was facing Hearn. And then it never really got back on track afterwards. So I was a little less encouraged by what I saw over the following nights with Stewart, but I'm kind of in the wait and see mode with him. I think there is some potential for that new stance to at the very least allow him to get on base more and allow him to see the ball better. And then once we get out of this sort of damp April weather, that's kind of when I look for him to start driving the ball a little bit more. And, and real quick with Stewart, um, I, I kind of looked at his stat line and I didn't really care uh, about the batting average, but I noticed the walks are, are, are there. Um, I, at least I think they were there. Um, how was his recognition? Because that was one thing I think that is his strength as far as he's able to, um, I think he does a good job commanding the strike zone or as far as telling, you know, he's not chasing or swinging every pitch. Did you notice uh, that as well? Yes, absolutely. Especially his first at bat, his first at bat of the season was actually one of the better at bats I saw the whole series. It was a five pitch walk. He didn't swing the bat once and he just was seeing the ball very well. Um, And he showed much more polish in that at bat as far as pitch recognition goes. And really what I saw from any other hitter in the Delmarva lineup and perhaps even in the Hagerstown lineup, he was really picking up the ball well. And you can see it in the individual bats like that. He does have good pitch recognition. So maybe the realistic ceiling for him, and hopefully we can find out a little bit more about this as the year goes on, but realistic ceiling for him might be one of those guys who maybe does not hit a complete hitter just by an everyday left field spot, but he'll get on base. He'll provide a little bit of power. So there will be some value there. Good. That's good to know. And um, the other guy was Ryan, uh, Ryan Mountcastle, who we, we, we talked about a little bit on the plug uh, yesterday. So give us your thoughts on him. I know we've had um, some discussion in regards to a position for him, but regardless of the position, I'm assuming you were looking more at his hitting. Uh, wh- what did you see uh, from him uh, during the series in Hagerstown? 
Yeah, I, I saw a little bit of both offensively and defensively. I'll start with the offense because that's a little uh, little simpler to take in right now. Basically, he can use the other field very well. Um, you know, he drove, he hit a home run the first night that was kind of windblown. The wind had really picked up by the top of the ninth when he hit the ball out. But in the following games, he was able to drive the ball out to right center very well. He has cooled off a little bit since that series. So if you looked at the stat line right now, you wouldn't necessarily see it. But this is someone who's got a lot, a lot of power potential and should only improve as he ages. And I could see him being one of those right-handed hitters who eventually comes to Candom Yards and is able to hit home runs based on the strength of driving the ball the other way. So I was very encouraged by that. I would say that Mountcastle, maybe along with Yomar Reyes and Mancini, would be your top power prospects in the system. Um, Defensively, I don't see him sticking at shortstop. I think that's something that's been pretty clear since he was drafted. I'm also not sure about third base either, though, because that's been one position that's been brought up. Just because of the footwork, that was one issue he seemed to be having defensively, was the footwork just didn't look natural for an infielder. He would charge the ball, and it just looked like he was struggling to get set. So that's something that would not be a flaw necessarily if he were a left fielder but it's going to get exposed in the infield. Yeah, and I I agree with that sentiment just because I had a chance to view him uh, in the Gulf Coast League, I guess, before he uh, went to Aberdeen, and that was clearly apparent that um, shortstop was not going to be his position more or less because of the footwork. Uh, Certainly the bat is is there, and I think we we both agree with that. It's just a matter of where are you going to put this guy? Um, And I guess that was my kind of – big thing was, you know, this was a supplemental pick for uh, the Orioles. And I guess I, to me, he was more of a third round pick just because you're drafting a guy who doesn't really have a set position at this point. Um, You know, do you look at left field at some point? Do you think? I would say left field based off of what I saw. I'm a little skeptical about how the arm would play in right. And, you know, in because I'll probably see Delmarva a, a good bit this year. So yeah. maybe in the series, upcoming series, the arm strength will look a little better. But from what I saw um, last weekend, I think left field is a safer bet because the arm for right field probably won't be there. Uh, even in a short right field like Canham Yards, I still think left would be a better fit for Mountcastle because I think he will have just enough ath- athleticism. Uh, particularly if he's going to be one of those outfielders who can position himself correctly to mm-hmm. be a serviceable left fielder, maybe even above average. Yeah, I, I agree with that as well. Uh, was there anyone else who I guess isn't on the uh, quote-unquote radar uh, for prospects among the Orioles that uh, stood out at Delmarva for you, whether it be a pitcher or a, uh, a hitter? Eric Clevenger looks good in his one relief appearance. I will say that I was impressed with what I saw there. Um, You know, Delmarva had a pretty good series overall against Hagerstown in Hagerstown, but they're really struggling right now. So I think they're going to have a little ups, some ups and downs early on, but particularly if Stork can turn a corner, I could see that being a team that puts up some good offensive numbers and competes in the first half a little bit. But Clevenger would, would be the one guy that stood out. 
Yeah, and I, I know we talked about Mancini uh, probably getting promoted to Norfolk. Do you see anybody off that Delmarva? Uh, I mean, I know we're <laughs> we're only a week or two in, but uh, the uh, with the exception of Joe Mar Reyes uh, and Frederick, um, there's not much there offensively. Uh, I think it's Reyes and Heim uh, with the other guys kind of being repeaters or not that strong. Um, you know, is there anyone there you think, or are they just going to let Mountcastle and DJ Stewart sit there all year because it'll be their first full, um, I guess you could say professional season. If I had a guess of which one would be more likely to move up, if both are hitting well, I would say Stewart just based off of his age. I think the Carolina yeah. league would be yeah. a better fit for him than the Sally league all year. And then Mountcastle, you might want to keep in the hit low way only because you want the defense to come along with the bat, even if he's not going to stick at shortstop long-term, you still want to see what kind of adjustments he can make within the season. Um, one player I could see moving up at some point is Alex Murphy, just because he has been in Delmarva before, uh, 21 years old, off to a pretty good start there. So to name I watch the first half as someone who can move up to Frederick and maybe stay there for good. Yeah, and it's interesting with Stewart because I, I do agree with that. And honestly, I thought that maybe there was a chance he could start in Frederick. Uh, I just say that because, you know, he's got the college experience. Uh, and like you mentioned, he's older. So um, I think if if he's there, they may uh, – he, he may not be there for long. I guess what I'm saying is because he's a college kid. Uh, he's played his three or four years at Florida State. And, um, you know, it, it kind of he, – he's older for the league. So certainly that that's a guy I would also agree with that could move up. Yeah, I think that might have happened already if it were not for some of the struggles he had in Aberdeen last year and then the decision to tweak his batting stance. If he had performed, I think, at average for the New York Penn League last year or been a little bit above average and maybe they let the stance go for the first year, he probably would have opened in Frederick. But I don't think you want to take a player – um, even someone that experienced in college who is having a fairly major adjustment at the plate with the batting stance and who struggled last year um, and put him right in high A. So I can certainly understand the decision to start him in Delmarva, but I would be surprised that even if he gets off to a decent start there, I would be surprised to see him stay um, for most of the year. Good stuff. Uh, and obviously, um, that was just a weekend. Zach was in Delmarva. I saw a little bit of Bowie. Uh, I'll be seeing a little bit of Frederick. I think both of us will be bouncing around between the different leagues. Um, obviously, go to Baltimore Sports and Life. Uh, we have columns going up, not only for the Orioles and the Orioles minor leagues, but everything, basically Maryland-related sports, the Ravens, as well as the Terps. Uh, and that's baltimoresportsandlife.com. And then you can actually go to the forums uh, if you want to join the conversation, whether it be about anything, uh, Orioles, Terps, Ravens, et cetera. As well, Zach mentioned he's doing write-ups uh, within those, uh, or quick hits, I should say, within those forums as well. Uh, we The site is also on Twitter, Baltimore Sports and Life. I think it's uh, BSL. You can find us. And on Facebook as well. Zach, what's your Twitter handle if people uh, want to follow you? At Z Spedden. So that's my last name. Yeah. And then the letter, the letter Z and then my last name. So you can follow Zach on Twitter. Uh, I, as he mentioned, he writes for a couple other sites, a couple other projects. So he'll also have baseball as well as his other stuff. And uh, I'm Reggie and I'm on uh, at Gopher Balls, uh, G O P H E R 
B-I-L-L-S. Uh, so that's pretty much all we have. Be sure to check out the website, and uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode. And tune in next time.